addiction steals a lot, not only from the person who struggles with addiction, but from their partner and from their friends and from their families. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, I'm like, so this is something to stop and think about is like, what have I lost? What has this cost me? I know in, in rehab, sometimes I'll have you sit down and like write out the, the literal dollar figure cost, right? What did it cost me in dollars? But but I think even a bigger loss than that, most of the time, is what does it cost me in time and in relationship? I'm Angela. And I'm Chad. And we discuss issues that couples face in everyday life. Then we set you up to have a conversation with your partner that's designed to bring you closer together. This is the Connecting Couples Podcast with The Real Hoffs. Real conversations for a real connection. All right, so welcome back. We realized we had a couple of things we wanted to add to our addiction series and thought, man, we might as well do it now. So we've just covered relapse. We also want to talk a little bit about uh, responses kind of to what's gone on, how uh, addiction has affected the the relationship and what uh, the partner who hasn't um, been struggling with the stereotypical addiction might be feeling around what's gone on. And so we wanted to take a little time and just talk through that. It's, it's things that people have talked to us about. And so we wanted to share it with you. The best feedback that we can get is if a, a couple listens to this, has a conversation, comes back to us and says, hey, we're trying on the connect point. We're trying to have this conversation, but here's what's coming up. And always we take that in and go, okay, that's good. Here is either the episode where we address that or possibly like, in this case, we're like, hmm, you're right. That's a really good point. We really didn't dive that far into it. And so what we want to do in this episode is specifically cover a different response that could be coming up. And that is often a response that comes up eventually when you really start diving deep into the pain that addiction causes, the distress that addiction puts on the relationship. And so in episode 10 and 11, we really talked about the idea of diving deeper down. Now that I think the scenario we laid out was there has been three years of sobriety and you're starting to, you know, trust each other again, but there's pain that's deeply embedded in each person about the process. And you want to bring it back up so that pain can be responded to, but bringing it back up brings up anger, causes shame. It, It feels like sometimes it's better to just leave it alone. And we laid out that it's not better to leave it alone. You actually should probably go into it uh, and get some responses to it. It's kind of not better to leave it alone. (laughs) (laughs) Chad's kind of like, the withdrawer hesitates. (laughs) You know that leaving it alone will leave some things unresolved, right? There's some question marks. um, And and I'm not saying that everything gets resolved. Correct. Right? Uh, However... I think there is a grief process that yeah. we're talking about uh, that that gets hit. So addiction, one of the things that I've um, thought about, why, why is this a problem? I got to speak with some people up in Michigan uh, a few weeks ago, and, and we were talking about why, what is it that addiction does? Why is this a problem for a relationship? And one of the things that really came out as I was thinking about it and talking about it was that, man, it, it just takes time, and it takes energy and it takes what would normally have been a connection between two people and it takes resources yeah. like money and it takes i mean yeah, yeah. it robs a lot from yeah. the relationship so it takes it takes it takes it takes it takes mm-hmm. and if we don't have a way to say 
not 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 just say, man, the person who was addicted was so bad they took, right? Because that is the message that addiction generally says, and that's the shame that comes up. Yeah. But if we can take some time and go, what did we lose? And can we be sad about that together? Yeah. Um, that's kind of the process that a lot of people just don't know how to do. Sadness is really the thing that we hadn't yet talked about in this series. We yeah. might have kind of mentioned, hey, this is sad. Chad and I find it sad when we're working with a couple because we can see hope for them and they're kind of stuck in it. But really, as we started unpacking in episode 11, when we were saying the partner to addiction can often be angry, and we even kind of implied if you can lay your anger down or if you can allow your anger to come up so it can be responded to, you can move into a different place. You can start bringing your pain forward. It can be responded to. But a lot of times when that anger gets responded to, what comes online is sadness for both parties. Yeah. So then you have this couple who has done so much work to get their relationship into a more stable place. The addict is sober. The partner to the addict is learning how to retrust, is learning how to um, resource their partner who they used to not be able to rely on and now trying to rely on them. There's connection being built. But at some point, both of those bodies start to recognize we could have had this a long time ago or yeah. we've missed years or we, you know, as you start bringing it up, you can get stuck in a place where you don't know how to feel what you're feeling. You don't even know what to feel. And you definitely don't know how to ask your partner to sit in that place with you. Like, what do you do with the overwhelming sadness as you start to realize just exactly what you lost? I mean, that is what grief mm. is saying. Grief is your body's way of saying you lost something valuable and it puts a weight on that. And that's why I think it weighs us down. It's so heavy because you have to start basically acknowledging what it was that you lost so that you can grieve it. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll tell you what, man, if there's one thing that people who struggle with addiction are good at, it's it's going away from the pain of loss. Uh, you think about, or when I think about um, people who have uh, gone to a funeral, right? And they go they go to the funeral. And what do a lot of people do? They drink, or they they kind of numb out in some way because they're like, man, I don't I don't know what to do with what I feel about this. It's so painful. And, and so this is really counter to um, addiction. The, the opposite of addiction is connection, but not just connection in the good times or in the, in the, in the easy times, but it, it's actually connection around pain. So we need to find ways to connect with what we feel and then also share it with our partner and get that responded to. And as we do that, as the person who struggles with addiction, uh, we learn that we could be the person to respond, to show up for our partner. And that's, man, there's a lot of layers to this. So sometimes it means I'm going to need you to hold my hand while I show up for you, which is a very connected way of thinking about addiction. Yeah. It's saying, I, I, yes, I need help and support, and I also want to be your help and support. I want to know about your hurt, about your pain, about your loss, and, and grieve it with you. This is this idea that Lots of cultures do this, but they sit together in pain or in loss. When somebody dies in, in Jewish culture, they sit together a lot of times for a week. They would sit and say, this is sad. And they wouldn't have to speak. They could. They could talk about the pain or the person or the, and the things they're going to miss or the things that they loved or didn't like about the person. Um, 
But I, I think we need to have a grief process like that with, with addiction. These are the things we lost. These are the things that I, I used to know how to do, and now I don't know how to do. I was good at you know, celebrations when I was in my addiction, but now I don't know how to, how do we celebrate now? Um, it's funny to think about addiction being a resource, being something that I used, um, to, to be who I thought I was. Right. But a lot of people who struggle with addiction do that. They, this has just become an identity. It's a culture that we've um, embedded in our experiences and in our bodies that now we have to learn to say, or we have to learn how to go I'm going to do something different. I got to be honest with you. As you're sharing and as you're talking about the idea of sitting in pain and sitting in loss, everything in my body wants to try to say, I don't like this episode. Do we really have to tell them to do this? And would we even be able to do this ourselves? Chad and I talk a lot about... I'm like, no, let's quit. No, I don't want to do it. (laughs) Chad and I talk a lot about ninja moves. And if ever there were ninja moves... These these are moves that are really hard to do. And I want to say it is one of the reasons that Chad and I actually got into therapy several years ago. We'd been doing, um, you know, some EFT stuff. We started to recognize it. We're pretty good at coming to each other and processing. But what I realized was that I have a hard time allowing him to respond to my pain. And this wasn't even addiction pain that he had caused. This was just pain in general. Chad and I are both people who have basically figured out a good strategy for us is to outperform our pain. If we're in pain, we get out ahead of it, work harder, try harder, do more. Both of us do that. So in our relationship, when one of us is hurting, it makes sense if you're on the outside looking in that you would see us kind of doubling down on effort work yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so as we're telling you oh it's so good for you to sit in your grief and hold each other's <laughs> hands i'm literally like no way Here, hold my no hand, don't touch no. me i'm out um, and so recognizing uh, we don't even have a breach as big as something like you know betrayal or addiction and i can acknowledge that this is a hard practice at the same time in my experience, in my education, in the things I've learned, I recognize how important this process is. And it's one of the things we talk about in Celebrate Recovery. People ask me all the time, what does CR really do? I said, really, it's a place that teaches you how to start acknowledging what you've lost, grieve it so that you can yeah. move forward in it. Uh, <laughs> grieving is is a challenge. Something I, um, I said this a few years ago, but uh, your ability to enjoy life and relationships is directly proportionate to your ability to grieve. Mm. I know, no, I know, I, I don't, don't love like it. That. Say it again. Just pass it by me one more time. Your ability to enjoy life and relationships is directly proportionate. It's directly related to your ability to grieve and, and go yeah. through loss. That's hard. If not. Then you start walling off parts of yourself until yeah. until you're not living at all. Yeah. And I'm not saying go look for things to be sad about. No. At, by any means, but but your ability to go, oh, that hurt, that loss, that pain, that struggle, that thing that I went through, yeah. whatever it might be, that hurt, and I can acknowledge the good and bad parts of the whole thing, and I can be sad for it, and then I can also, so so there's a misconception. I don't mean just be sad for it and stay in it. Yeah. I can be sad for it, and I can put it down. And I can put it over here. I can honor my grandmother who's passed away and love her and miss her and think about the good parts of her. 
And I can also think about the bad parts of her. And I can also put all of that on the shelf. And I can come back to it any anytime yeah. I want to or anytime that I need to. If I feel that pain of loss, I can go back to it. Yeah. You know, it's funny because we have a little girl. And so as we're, Chad and I, you know, doing talks about emotion and doing talks about connection, we're getting to kind of see our little daughter experiencing emotions, experiencing things that maybe I didn't have an awareness of when I was growing up. And so recently, Chad sold his truck and got a different vehicle. And our sweet little girl was, we didn't realize how attached, she was really attached to the truck apparently, because when we told her, she didn't I guess know how fun it is to get a new car and so she started crying was like oh no you know like just big boohoo tears about the truck and started really saying like we've been on vacation in that truck and you know dad drove me around to the park in that truck like all this all the stuff all her memories little things and so you know, there there is a slight little part of me that started to try to talk her into how fun a new car would be, and that got got me nowhere quickly. Uh, only escalated her sadness, and yeah. so instead flipping the switch and, and validating the sadness, we even took a picture with her in the car and sat in the back and cried a little bit, you know, cried with her and talked about how fun the experience was and some of the things that we're going to miss because we're getting a different kind of vehicle even, you know, like being able to go, hey, what is it that your body is saying is important here? The memories, the fun, the connection we had, that's something as simple as a a vehicle switch or the loss of a tangible thing like that. But Chad is saying you'd have to dig up reasons to be sad. I think if you are an adult human, there have been already times in your life when things didn't go according to plan, when there was an unexpected shift or when there was disappointment. And really being able to back up and go, how do I handle disappointment? Can I? And even learning or starting the practice of acknowledging disappointment will help us get better at the ability of talking about things that we're losing, talking about grief. Maybe it's too big of a stretch to say we want to, a couple that's been in addiction, sit down and talk about all the things that addiction robbed from us. That might be too big, but maybe we can start internally saying, how do I respond to disappointment? How do I respond to unexpected shifts and loss? And can I even acknowledge what I tend to do there? And can I talk to Chad about it, invite him into that so that I can resource him for comfort or response to that pain? Even that is a starting point for me. And we've talked about doing a series on grief. I think we'll have to flesh it out if we decide to do one. But, But really, this is the beginning of that concept. Couples that can grieve together really can do some incredible things. Well, and if I, for me, I'm just sitting here thinking, man, okay, circle it back just to the addiction piece. I'm like, we have lost addiction steals a lot, not only from the person who struggles with addiction, but from their partner and from their friends and from their families. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, I'm like, so this is something to stop and think about is like, what have I lost? What has this cost me? I know in in rehab, sometimes I'll have you sit down and like write out the, the literal dollar figure cost, right? What did it cost me in dollars? But but I think even a bigger loss than that most of the time is what does it cost me in time and in relationship? Yeah. Uh, so, so that's really what we're talking about. So the most natural next thing for most people to do when they start to realize what has been taken from them or what they've lost is to kind of go, I'm mad at that. I'm angry, 
right? Yeah. Like it kicks us into like this kind of almost protective, I want to fight against that or fight against how it went or whatever. Like I'm frustrated that that happened. Yeah. And, and I think that anger is really just our body's way of trying to fight for um, and, and make sense of the pain, right? It says, this is important and yeah. I've got to fight. Anger is going to come online in this grief process. Yeah. But I think shame is one that's not going to be too far from it because if somebody who has been the addict starts to sit in the sadness, it's very easily then to go, I caused all this, yeah. I'm bad, this is bad. That's, the, I think, reason partly that our bodies want to avoid the sadness altogether because the of the unpredictable direction that it, our bodies could take us to. Yeah. Well, <laughs> let's say you're you're the um, I, I'm the addict and you're the the yeah. partner, right? The partner of well, codependent, whatever, whatever yeah, you want to yeah, call sure. this. But um, and I'm over here going into shame because I start to realize all the things I've Ugh. lost, all the things that I've, all the harm I've done to my yeah. family, all the stuff, right? I'm going into this shame. But you're over there going, I am mad. Yeah. I am mad because you did that. And I'm not mad at you now, but golly, what do I do with yeah. all that we've lost? This is a lot. Yeah. And so trying to find a way to hold that anger. Yeah. And that anger can sometimes cue my shame and my shame can cue your anger. And yeah. like we can go back and forth. And you by can see the that way, its own cycle. Anger and shame are natural responses to what's going on. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, a person who has been in relationship with somebody who is an addict has usually pretty good reasons to be mad. Yeah. And a person who's starting to recognize I made some bad choices that hurt my family has usually pretty good reasons to feel ashamed about things. Yeah. Yeah. And so those are very natural feelings in the process. But when they're right up against each other in a cycle, in a moment where you're trying to find health and healing, oh, they, yeah. well, they and, don't, and, aren't necessarily helpful. And <laughs> let me be clear about shame there. We're yeah. not talking about you should feel like you are a bad human. Yeah. Necessarily. What we're saying is like, I feel bad. I feel shame mm-hmm. or shameful about what I did. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We're not, we're not saying, oh yeah, you should be ashamed. Yeah. We're saying what, what I did as a human hurt some people and gosh, I'm not proud of the moments that I caused pain to people. So I think it's important that we say this and Chad, even before we hit record on this said, we got to come back to the fact that you might need a third party to help you yeah. navigate this. You might need a therapist. You might need a relationship coach. You might need to get into, like we've already suggested, celebrate recovery and find sponsors and accountability and community around being able to process some of this, a mentor couple who's already been through it and can walk you through it. Because holding this between two partners who both have hurt is a really hard thing to do. And in this tender moment can flip sideways pretty quickly and then yeah. all of a sudden only cause more pain because you don't know what to do in this brand new place where you are trying to reach for each other and feeling overwhelmed with some of the hard feelings that come up. That's great. I love it. All right, Angie, I think that brings us to our Connect Point. The Connect Point is designed to help you have a different conversation about how you experience your relationship. Small adjustments lead to big change over time. Take some time to practice with us now. So in this Connect Point, what we're asking you to do is not dive in to the deepest pain and loss that addiction has caused in your relationship. It's a little bit too big of a stretch. What we do want you to consider personally is how you respond to disappointment and loss and what it looks like to share it with your partner so that they can respond to it. It's that same reason Chad and I got into therapy. I realized 
I have a hard time sharing my pain with him. I don't want to bring attention to it. I don't want to sit in it. I don't want him to be in it. And that really leaves it lingering in my body and not responded to. And so I had to learn. It was a new muscle that I had to train where I could say I'm hurting and then allow him to comfort me and respond. That's just with something small. Uh, you know, like we're talking about with our daughter selling a vehicle that she was attached to. If we can learn in the small spaces how we personally respond to disappointment and learn how to share that with our partners so that they can respond, then we have a really good chance of bringing those harder, heavier moments to our partner where we can connect instead of disconnect. So take a few minutes to think about how you respond to disappointment and see if you can share with your partner some of the things that you tend to do with that disappointment that might keep you from including them in it. Let me let me jump in here too, Angela, and just say, this doesn't mean you're going to resolve everything that's ever happened everywhere. Um, in fact, our next series, we're going to talk a lot about how we get wounded, where those wounds come from, what do we do with them, things from the past, uh, and really think about like, how do we move through some of those things? How do we help each other heal in places where we've been hurt uh, and, and resource our relationship and show up and really be um, useful for one another? So that's, that's coming up next. I'm excited for us to talk about it and spend some time in that space. Thanks so much for listening to us. If you've enjoyed this podcast, one of the best things you can do for us is to share it with another couple that you think could benefit from it. You can rate us and give us a review on your listening platform, and you can follow us on our Facebook page, The Real Emhoffs. If you want to support our nonprofit that makes resources available for couples, you can check out the Ways to Give tab on our website, therealemhoffs.com. We love to hear from our listeners, so feel free to message or email us with ideas you might like us to talk about or the ways that our ConnectPoint conversations are impacting your relationship. Thanks, Thanks again. again.